This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. I was beginning to get a very, very bad feeling about this man. But at this point, we were getting close, and I knew I had to at least try to get my things back. I was starting to get bored when I heard a woman's voice say, evil. So I spoke up and repeated the word, evil. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. With Avast One, you can confidently take control of your online world by helping you stay safe from viruses, phishing attacks, ransomware, hacking attempts, and other cybercrimes. Learn more about Avast One at avast.com. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you two true horrifying tales and a listener voicemail that will frighten and disturb. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. Here we are, folks, already into October. It's officially spooky season, and because of that, I've got a request. I want to hear your spooky Halloween stories. Anything Halloween-related that's a true scary story, send it on in. So grab your phone and punch in hotline.disturbedpodcast.com, and that'll take you straight to our voicemail line. So don't wait around. Let's hear what you've got. Now we open the show with an email submission from Isabel, featuring voice work by Nicole Doolin, and we have a close call in Amsterdam. I'm a 22-year-old American girl currently traveling in Europe for a few months. This happened to me about three weeks ago now. I was in Amsterdam with my best friend, also a 22-year-old girl who I've been traveling with, At this point, we were about halfway through our two-month adventure, so I was beginning to be extremely less cautious and let loose a little bit. Another friend of mine happened to have a 12-hour layover in Amsterdam while we were there, so we all decided we had to get fucked up for the night with all of us there. So we're in Amsterdam, getting drunk and smoking weed, having a great time. We went to about three to four different bars and clubs, smoked a few joints, And by the end of the night, we achieved our goal of being very fucked up. At this point, it's about 2 a.m. and we decide, obviously, we have to get Dutch McDonald's to seal off our wonderful night. I'm at the kiosk putting in my order. I go to pay and I look in my bag and my entire heart sinks. My young, stupid American self's worst fear, my wallet is gone. This wasn't just my credit cards and my money. I was idiotic enough to carry around just about all of my items in this wallet. A large wallet, to say the least. My debit card, my credit card, my state ID, my passport, my insurance card, and all the cash I had was in this wallet. So of course I go into instant panic mode. At first it was shock and denial. 
but which quickly evolved into full-blown panic, and my friends and I began racing back to the bars and clubs we were just in. We traced back all our steps that night, went to every bar, talked to every bouncer and bartender, which inevitably amounted to nothing. All my shit was gone. Suddenly I was in a foreign country with no official documents, no money, and bawling my eyes out. We made our way back to the hotel as I began to accept this was indeed my worst travel nightmare coming to light. Spoiler, it gets worse. So the next morning, I go to the U.S. Embassy, cry my eyes out to them, explain my story, and they give me the paperwork to come back the following Monday with an appointment for a new passport. I filed a police report where I let them know where I was staying and how to contact myself and my friend in the small case that any of my things were found. I call my parents, cancel all my credit cards, etc., etc., and begin to try and move on and continue to make the best of my trip. All the meanwhile, speculating with my friends as to what could have possibly happened to my things. Realistically, yes, we were super drunk, but I'm not a natural-born idiot. I'm actually insanely paranoid, protective, and on top of that, I listen to this and many more crime podcasts, so I would like to think I'm slightly aware. And in all of this, I couldn't seem to recall someone pickpocketing me or anything. Flash forward to the night after I had lost my things. It's about 7 p.m., and my friend and I arrive back to our hotel after a day of mourning my lost or stolen items. There's a note on the ground as we enter. It reads, Dear Miss, someone has reportedly found your bag. Their phone number is X to get a hold of them. So instantly, we are jumping for joy. Someone found my shit. I must have just dropped it. This is the best day ever, after arguably the worst day ever. So I'm like a kid on Christmas, typing their phone number in to give them a call and let them know I'm so grateful. A man picks up the phone, and I greeted him by saying, Hello, I believe you found my stuff? And instantly he responds with, Stupid, stupid, stupid. I can't believe how stupid you are. So I'm sitting there in confusion. For context, I am an American that does not speak Dutch, and thus I'm speaking in English during this, as he is. So my initial thought is, oh, he hates me for speaking English, which also is simply a weird thing to hate on me for in this moment. I mean, personally, if I found a wallet clearly misplaced, I would be so glad and happy to help someone out by giving it back. My head starts reeling some more. In the initial excitement of seeing the note, I forgot to think about who this person would be and how on earth they managed to get a hold of our hotel if they didn't talk to the police, who were the only ones I gave my hotel information to. Why was a random citizen's phone number given to me? Why didn't the citizen simply turn my wallet into the police if they found it? I continued talking to the man on the phone. Allegedly, he had my things, so I wasn't going to be rude back to him, but I was awfully confused as to why he was yelling at me. Yeah, stupid, that's me. Do you have my things? He responds, Yes, I have your things. I can't believe how much of an idiot you are. Me. Yep, I'm an idiot. <laughs> how can I get my things back from you? Him. I'll send you an address within the hour. Me. Okay. End of call. So at this point, I'm starting to get a bad feeling. Why is this guy being so sharp, so rude? 
And how on earth did he get a hold of the hotel but not the police? Things are not adding up. But again, this man apparently has my entire existence, so I simply had to follow the lead. He sends me an address on WhatsApp, and I reply back very kindly that I'll be there within the hour with my friend to pick up my stuff. He continues to reply in a very odd manner, but at first I simply brushed it off. On WhatsApp, he also had a profile picture that made him appear silly. He appeared to be an older man, roughly 60, with graying hair, a funky suit, and a dog. This gave me a slightly better feeling, but something about the entire interaction was just raising red flags for me. My friend and I begin our public transportation travels to get to his location. Luckily, the location he sent was near the central station, and thus we knew the area was bustling with people. We also went during the day when it obviously was light out. On the ride over, we were just discussing how weird of an interaction we had had, on top of him continuing to send odd messages, being extremely standoffish. Suddenly, I got the idea to message him to please send me a photo of my wallet, just to make sure it was mine. He got extremely defensive in the messages back, saying things like, You stupid! How could I know this was you if it wasn't yours? Oh, so now you don't trust me? After I've been so kind to find your things? This put a pit in my stomach to read. I was beginning to get a very, very bad feeling about this man. But at this point, we were getting close and I knew I had to at least try to get my things back. We arrive at the address he gave me. Luckily, a cafe with many people sitting at it was right outside. I told my friend, no fucking way we're going inside that man's house. He better come out to us. Of course, after I message him that we've arrived, he tells me, come through the alley, take a right at the end and buzz number 17. Well, now I'm fully shitting myself. Alleyway? Buzz number 17? Fuck no. But again, this man had my entire existence. We didn't know what else to do but go up. He was already so angry and skeptical with me about asking for a photo of my wallet, which he didn't send, by the way. We decided fuck it and went up. We arrived to what we think is near his apartment, turned the corner to number 17, and there's a full-blown naked lady mannequin propped outside his door. Suddenly, I hear a knock from behind me as I'm glaring at the mannequin. It's the mystery man. Stupid, 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 he screams at me. I say, yep, that's me, trying to act as calm as fucking possible despite being scared shitless. He beacons us onto his balcony that then led to the door to his apartment. We step in, and immediately to our right is a full-sized crocodile statue, which was just so fucking weird. His dog runs out and just starts barking and barking and barking at us. For some reason, its white fur was dyed bright pink. This man continues to verbally harass me for how stupid I was, and he asks me where I left my wallet. I told him, I don't know, probably at a bar. He screams and laughs in my face as he tells me, no, it was the park bench. Either way, all I knew is I needed to see my wallet within the next two minutes, or I'm sprinting the fuck out of this weird place. We got a glimpse inside. It was insanely cluttered, with paintings on the wall of himself and one of a hand squeezing what looked like to be a human heart. He continues to call me stupid, praise himself for how good he is for finding it, 
and accuse us of being scared of him. You should have been this cautious yesterday when you got so drunk you lost your stuff. At this point, my voice was cracking as I was begging him to please just bring me my things and we'd leave him alone. He's disappeared deep into his apartment, continually trying to coerce us in. Finally, ten minutes later, he rounds the corner and I finally see my godforsaken bag in his hand. He stands four feet away from me as he goes through and empties out every single thing inside of it. You could have been expelled from university for this. He just keeps going on and on and on. My mouth was watering like he was taunting me. What seemed like an eternity later, he finally hands me my bag. I grabbed it, and within 15 seconds I was down the stairs and out the building. Let this be a warning to travelers. Never let your guard down. And to the creepy Dutchman who found my stuff and got a hold of my hotel without any information... I hope we never meet again. Want to listen to Disturbed ad-free? Of course you do. Go to disturbedpodcast.com slash support to get your access today. Now, every week here on Disturbed, you guys hear terrifying real-life stories. And my hope is you guys are able to learn from a story you hear each and every week and apply it in your everyday life. It pays to be vigilant, alert, and aware. Nothing is more important than your security and privacy. And in today's day and age, that has to translate online as well. You have to take your online privacy extremely serious. The thing is, you might not know exactly where to start. And that's where Avast comes into play as your saving grace. Just the other day, I was in a Starbucks getting a little work done, and I needed to jump on the public Wi-Fi, and this always makes me a little wary because it's just that, open and public, not ideal for security. Now luckily, all I had to do was toggle on the VPN from Avast, and instantly that connection became safe and secure, and I was able to finish up with zero fears of any kind of privacy breach or cybercrime. Avast has been a global leader in cyber protection for more than 30 years, and they're trusted by over 435 million users, preventing over 1.5 billion attacks every single month. Just let those numbers sink in. Now the program itself is super simple. With a new all-in-one solution, Avast One helps you take control of your safety and security online through a whole range of features. Now I know you're wondering, and yes, there is a free version, and it includes an award-winning free antivirus, VPN, firewall, and a whole lot more. Now, most everyone knows you need some sort of online protection, but they don't understand why or from what. Well, Avast has privacy features that keep your identity and actions hidden. They've got security solutions to stop things like malware, phishing, and virus attacks. And they have performance products to clean up and speed up your devices. I just went through and ran the disk cleanup on my iMac here in studio, and I saw a big time difference in the overall speed and just how much the machine can handle at one time. And how often do you hear about data breaches? It seems like every other week I'm hearing about some large company with a data breach exposing all that customer information to God knows who. Well, Avast has data breach monitoring, so you find out if your online accounts have been compromised and if you've got any passwords you need to change. Firewall protection keeps your personal information secure and it prevents those attacks that try to gain access and steal your data. Look, here's the bottom line. Since I've started using Avast, I've noticed speed and performance bumps to my devices, not to mention a sense of security that you just can't put a price on. 
So confidently take control of your online world with Avast One. It helps you stay safe from viruses, phishing attacks, ransomware, hacking attempts, and other cybercrimes. Learn more about Avast One at avast.com. 24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when Muda, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the deliciously frightful. Disturbed Podcast with your host, Chad. Up next, we have a listener voicemail from Blaine. And he details his experiences in a house that may have had some extra visitors. Hey, this is Blaine. I've been listening to you guys' podcast since episode one. Love it. It uh, highlighted my week. Definitely wait for it when I do my run. It helps it go by quick. I'd like to tell you guys about a house that we lived in, me and my family, a couple years ago. We're renting this place in just a tiny little town. There was probably like 25 people that actually lived in the town itself, just in the middle of nowhere, just out in the prairie. This house was, it was just a rundown little single wide trailer, but it was just me and my wife and our one year old son. So easy on the paycheck, you know, cheap rent and made up for it with the uh, commute to work, still cheaper than living in town. So this place, from day one we moved into it, both me and my wife just had an off feeling about it. It was just always kind of creepy. Never wanted to be there by yourself. We have two dogs, and when we moved in, you could just tell that they didn't like the place either. They always seemed like they'd be walking down the hallway, and they look over their shoulder. Or they just never seemed to, like, chill out and lay down the corner and just relax. They always seemed like they were on edge. And my son, at the time we moved in, he was under one and he was just over one when we moved out but he was kind of at that stage where he was starting to sit up and kind of want to play with you and stuff like that well there was kind of multiple things while we lived there where 
I would come home from work or whatever. My wife wasn't back yet with our son and I'd be doing dishes or whatever. And I'd turn around and like things would be moved. Like the pictures on the wall would be crooked or like the blinds every now and again would be like swaying, even though there was no windows or doors open, they would just be like moving. Like there was wind and I couldn't feel anything. There was, I never got a good night's sleep in that house one time, the whole time we were there. Every time I start to doze off, I'd jolt awake and just felt like there was something there. And I mean, there was multiple times that I pulled a gun out of the safe and leaned it right next to the bed next to me with the shell ready to go just because it just always felt like something was about to happen. Eventually, we got to where I got a better job. We could uh, move to a different town and it was going to be cheaper and whatnot. And it was right after that that things really started to escalate. Like we would be in the house all of us, or there'd be people over and things in another room would fall down. I've got guitars up on hangers up on the wall. And if you can picture the holder, it's like a U shape and it's kind of curled up in the ends and it holds the guitar right on the head right at the end of the neck. So to pull the guitar off, you got to lift it up and off. And we were in watching football one night with a couple of friends and there was a bang, bang in the bedroom. And I ran in there and uh, two of the guitars that hang on the wall were both laying on the floor. And like I said, you, you have to lift those up to get them off there. They don't just fall by themselves. And there was nobody over there. We were all in the living room. There was multiple times where we would be in the kitchen or the living room or whatever. My son would be in his room with the door closed and he'd be in there just giggling and laughing away. And I'd creep down the hallway and open up the door and peek in. And he's just like by himself. His toys are behind him or way off to the side or whatever. And he's just staring at the wall, giggling and laughing and you know clapping and waving his hands around like he's playing with someone. And I'd always just grab him and bring him out of there because, I mean, I don't know if he could see something or if there was something there, but I just didn't want him involved with anything like that. But, I mean, it just escalated from there. Like, more pictures would start falling off the walls, just like random times. I never got a full night's sleep that last month that we were there because it just felt like something was there staring at me the whole time. There was one time where I was in the shower nobody was home and the bathroom lights just turned off and... I mean, nobody was home. No other lights were off. The breakers were all on. And then I came back from checking the breakers. The light was back on. And anyways, after we got all moved out, we came back the day after and we uh, did a full deep clean on the house for the guy that we were leasing from. And as we were going, we would close a door so we knew that that room was done. And then we got to the end. I did one more check around. Everything was good. I didn't see anything. We had vacuumed out the floor, scrubbed everything. Then my wife did one lap after me. And she came out and she had five Indian head pennies in her hand. And she said, each one of those rooms that we were in, in the middle of the floor, there's one of these pennies. And they were all like old, I think. One of them was like 1880 something. And the other ones, you couldn't really see the date. And then like the one that I, the other one we could see was like 1901 or it was something like that. I don't remember, but she wanted to keep them. And I said, we are not doing that. I brought them back in the house, put them all on the counter locked the place up, gave the landlord the key the next day, and I never went back and never want to. And every now and again, you know, I'll have a nightmare, I guess you'd say, where I'll be having a good dream or whatever, and all of a sudden I'll flip over and I'm in that house and I'm getting chased by something or I can't get out and I just know something's in there trying to get me and whatnot. But anyways, that's the story of that place. Always creep me out. Never want to go back. Thanks again for the show. Love listening to it. Can't wait to hear more. Are you loving the show? Let us know with a positive rating and review. In return, we'll help you hide the body.
And finally, we close out the show hearing from Reddit user Valpal1237, featuring voice work by Matt Bradford, and we step into the shoes of a paranormal tour guide. The Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, formerly known as Weston State Hospital, is a Kirkbridge building that housed the mentally ill from 1864 to 1994. In 2007, it was privately purchased and has become a museum historic location and ghost hunting spot. It has a most unpleasant and dark history that I've regaled to thousands of people, and it pains me to be an expert on the subject. In 2021, I retired from my position as a guide and ghost hunt event manager under severe burnout. After all that I experienced there, it solidified in my mind that paranormal things that defy rational explanation do indeed happen, and certain phenomena are absolutely real, electronic voice phenomenon especially. It's almost October, and I'm feeling a little spooky, so here are a couple strange things that I experienced in my time there. So, one evening, while training for the job, I was on the first floor with a couple co-workers while everyone else was touring upstairs. We were just kind of killing time, quietly observing the area. The light from the outside was coming in through the windows, casting on the inner hall's wall. In that light, I watched the perfect silhouette of a man from head to hip walk through the light from left to right. I said something about it, and the three of us watched as an arm and hand moved into the light from the right side. I immediately ran into the room and began looking out of that window for someone outside. There was no one there. At the time, the realization that from the ground to the bottom of the window is like seven feet didn't even occur to me. I will never forget the crisp, clear silhouette shape for as long as I live. We would run experiments with a spirit box, rapidly scans radio frequencies and are believed to be a communication device. One person would use one with noise-canceling earbuds. All they're able to hear is the radio static and blips of a few random stations. When they hear a word or phrase, they are to say it out loud. I always liked this role in the experiment. One evening, my coworker and I ran one of these experiments in a notorious room where a murder in 1987 took place. For 10 minutes, I sat and listened to nothing but radio static through the spirit box. No blips of radio, nothing except the shh of the static. I was starting to get bored when I heard a woman's voice say, evil. So I spoke up and repeated the word, evil. Next thing I know, my, my coworker is shining her flashlight in my face trying to get my attention. I pull out the earbud, and she was practically frantic, saying, it's time to go, it's time to go. So we haul ass out of the room and down the hall and down the next hall to the center section before she would even tell me what happened. While I was hearing nothing but static, she said she kept hearing what sounded like someone shuffling their feet and walking around just outside of the door. She said she spoke up and asked, Whoever is out in the hallway, are they nice? And that was when I spoke out and said, evil. In the wee hours one night, we figured it would be cool to see what would happen if we shut all the doors of the ward. But one of the doors, as I was closing it, the knob twisted in my hand and was forcibly pulled closed. I stood there for several moments, opening and closing the door, trying to replicate what happened, trying to explain it. And finally, the person with me was like, what the hell are you doing? It was so weird. I'd never felt invisible force like that before. On another occasion, I had three people spend the night one night and they had thermal imaging video. They set it up, pointing down the hall where we could all watch on a tablet. We thought it would be interesting to leave a device at the far end of the hall that would be an alarm if the field around it was disturbed. 
As one of the dudes walked down the hall to put it there, we could see his form on thermal imaging, clearly human-shaped in colors representing heat and warmth. But when he walked by one of those doorways about a quarter way down the ward, the shape of a head, neck, shoulders, and upper body of a person in colors indicating cooler temperatures lean peeked out as he walked by. Like someone popped out of the room for a sec as he walked by to check him out. I've never seen anything like it, won't forget it, and would give my left testicle, if I had one, for a copy of that footage. That actually happened a lot, a guest capturing something far out and not sending a copy to us. I'll end this long-winded story with something that absolutely changed me and I still don't understand. I remember the exact night and time of these occurrences. That's how profound and somewhat unsettling they were. June 3rd. After an hour or so of hearing a female's voice, one instance even sounded like she said my name, as well as banging around, footsteps literally running sounds on that hardwood floor toward us, I sat quietly on the floor with a group. I started to feel dizzy, lightheaded, and gross. I told myself it was my imagination and that I'd be fine. Well, a few minutes later, I started to feel this intense burning sensation on my lower back, just to the right of my spine. Again, I told myself it was just my imagination. The burning sensation kept amping up, getting worse and worse. I told myself that I don't want to be that guy and say anything in front of these people, you know? Finally, it got to the point where I had to say something. I asked my coworker with us if there was anything there. She was like, OMG. There, on my lower back, just to the right of my spine, was a mark that looked like a burn or an abrasion about three to four inches long and about one inch wide. Now, I'd seen other such claims made by visitors of scratch marks and the like, often writing them off, and the marks were always gone within an hour at most. I had visible markings on my back for almost a week. My nerves there, to this very day, often feel weird. Sometimes chilled. Sometimes like a skin soreness. Especially when I think on the experience. June 4th, same part of the building, same time of night, because I just can't get enough, right? I noticed that my voice recorder ran out of memory, so I'm holding it in my right hand, using the flashlight on my left so I could see what I was doing. Well, suddenly, I feel a burning sensation on the underside of my right forearm, did a WTF, and shifted my flashlight to it. The person beside me and I watched as three welts began to appear down my arm. Well, needless to say, that shit blew my mind. It's one thing to see marks like that, but it's a whole ass other to watch it happen on your own skin. And like the majority of instances I've heard about, those marks were gone within 10-15 minutes. No lasting effects. Scared would be the wrong word, but I have none to describe my mind frame around those events. I took a week off from work after it and tried to process it all, and was nervous about being in that hallway for the rest of the summer. Like I said, I still don't know what to think or believe. I've got enough of these stories of experiences to probably fill a book, but I'll leave you with those for now. I will add a final note about how constantly poking around in the dark and talking about past true horrors of human experience day in and day out truly takes its toll, spiritually and emotionally. Since my resignation, my mental health and overall level of happiness has greatly improved. I used to tell people for a while afterwards that it felt like I'd gotten out of a toxic relationship with that place. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod.
Don't forget you can send in your own true terrifying tales. Head over to disturbedpodcast.com slash submit to find out how. And get those scary Halloween stories in hotline.disturbedpodcast.com. If you'd like to support the show and gain access to bonus episodes, ad-free content, and early releases, visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast or find the link in the show notes. And a big-time thanks to our newest supporters, Lee Ann Lazod, Rico Pastrana, Jacqueline Van Weeren, Kim Hansen, Kayla Scott, Michelle Edgley, Samantha, Alexander Larson, and Tony Lozano. Thanks to all of you for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at Whitebat Audio, Co.ag, and Kevin Hartnell. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. Stay spooky and stay safe out there, y'all.